You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we give you thanks and praise that you have gathered us together this day. We thank you for the gift of, of your word, Jesus, your son, and uh, particularly what is revealed today as, as we reflect on these final chapters of Mark's gospel and the way in which you graciously seek us, the way that you wonderfully graciously um, ransom us. Um, and all this we ask and all this we offer in the name of your Son, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, it... We'll begin here. Uh, if you if you have your Bibles, you can you can open with me uh, to to Mark's Gospel, but I'll uh, or or your phones, um, however you choose um, to do it, and I'll and I'll bring us along as well. Kind of as 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 we've done, uh, not going to read not going to read every line, um, every verse. Last week, for those who were able to be a part of it, last week we. Um, we looked at we looked at the plot uh, leading up to um, Jesus's death, uh, and one of the things that that we noted in the 14th chapter um, is uh, the the complete failure of all involved. Um, it, you know, you tend to think about doubting Thomas, you tend to think about Peter's denial, uh, but one of the things is um, not only um, is is grace sufficient for all, but but. But failure is endemic to all. Um, it's, wouldn't it be nice if it were just those people? Um, but one of the things that that we that we noted, um, Jesus is uh, Jesus is anointed uh, at at Bethany. He's he's prepared um, for his burial in fourteen, and what we see the the reaction of Jesus's followers that um, one that they they basically thought that he wasn't worth um, the offering that was being made um, to him, but also that it was a little over the top. You know, again, it, that's the temptation for all of us. A little religion's a good thing, but don't get carried away. Um, a little devotion is a good thing, um, but don't get carried away. But we see that she sees um, clearly and responds rightly, uh, and Jesus praises her for this. And the betrayal, uh, again, of, of Judas, um, yes, um, but, but also the betrayal uh, of, of all. And one of the things that we noted was that when Jesus... Uh, institutes the Last Supper, and this is kind of interesting. Um, you know, obviously in in the Passover, uh, Jesus applies this to himself uh, to say that that I am the Passover. And interestingly, and I, 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 this was something that was made known to me as I read some different commentaries. When when we get to the trial of Jesus, uh, and of course Jesus is is condemned, uh, Jesus wasn't condemned for referring to himself as the Messiah. Um, that 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 was that was not actually um, what condemned him because um, different people came along. In fact, there was uh, a person after Jesus who was declared to be um, the Messiah, and, and that that wasn't uh, that wasn't the blasphemous um, part of it. What was blasphemous was Jesus um, attributing to himself the attributes of God, uh, the the virtue of God, the holiness of God. Jesus identifying himself with God and the attributes of God unto himself. And so in the Last Supper, Jesus says, you know, take this is my body and this is my blood. And we hear that they all drank it 
um, but then of course we hear that they will all um, they will all fall away, and they all of course say that we won't. Um, we'll be with you, even even to the point of death. We we will be with you. And Jesus goes um, to Gethsemane, and uh, this is uh, we're in uh, 1432 now. And again, just we'll sort of briefly uh, as as we hear this. Um, Jesus, of course, uh, talks about how he, he is sorrowful, um, even to death, and he invites them to remain here um, and and to watch. And of course, if you remember from the story, they three times uh, he comes back and finds them asleep. Uh, and what do you think that perhaps foreshadows? I understand. No one wants to be the star student, but you're all thinking about Peter's three denials. Um, so you know we, we we have the three times that he comes back and he and he finds them uh, and he finds them asleep. And of course we one of the things too that's unique in Mark is in Mark, and this is in thirty six. And he said, "Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will." And it's unique in Mark that he refers to to his father as Abba. Uh, that that's unique um, to Mark's gospel. And as you as you may well know, Abba, that, that term of intimacy and endearment, um, which Jesus refers to his father, this, this close relationship which Mark has demonstrated throughout. And of course, what Jesus is preparing himself for uh, is the experience of, uh, of well, this is, this is basically the first, well, uh, among the many surrenders of his being willing to become the ransom for the sins of the world. Uh, his preparation to take on himself what it is to feel separated from God um, and, and to actually bear uh, those, those words that will come out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This, this, uh, this, this grueling prayer um, in Gethsemane is Jesus preparing himself, uh, preparing himself for the experience of feeling what it is to be forsaken. Uh, feeling what it is to be cut off, uh, experiencing temporarily uh, the experience of separation uh, from God as he takes upon himself the, the sins of the world. And then the betrayal um, and, the, and the arrest uh, of Jesus. Come on in. Good to see you, Daniel. How are you, guy? Good. Um, uh, it's interesting. I was... Uh, I was driving through yesterday, um, and I know we were, we were over in Atlanta yesterday and drove back, and we, I guess, um, in between Talladega and here, we, uh, there was this storm that came through. We actually, um, I was outside with the dogs. Um, my wife and my daughter went into Bucky's for the first time yesterday, the phenomenon that is Bucky's. I don't know if y'all have gone in yet, uh, but they wanted to have the sort of the complete Birmingham experience, and so they went into Bucky's yesterday, and I, and I walked the pups, but... In between Bucky's uh, leads, and we came through that intense storm. Uh, there was that brief intense storm. And then I was actually riding through, and I and I saw where uh, some trees had gone down. Um, huge trees um, had gone down, and I, and I gather kind of a brief moment of straight line winds. I you know I don't uh, uh, I'm, I'm not James Spann, but I'm gathering there was perhaps uh, straight line winds momentarily. But I, I'm going to share with you a, a quote from Robert Capon. And Robert Capon, if you haven't read Robert Capon, um, he's fantastic. He is, he is a gospel provocateur. 
is is what Robert Capon is. Um, and he wrote this. He wrote it, it, at one point it was three books: the the parables of the kingdom, uh, the parables of grace, the parables of judgment. And it's since been combined into one book uh, called Kingdom Grace uh, Judgment. Um, but anyway, he, he writes this. If you take the view that one of the chief objects in life is to remain in loving relationships with other people, straight line power becomes useless. So let me read that to you again. It says, uh, you know, interesting, I say very much a, uh, uh, very much a provocateur, I think one who makes us uh, think. He says this, if you take the view that one of the chief objects in life is to remain in loving relationships with other people, straight line power becomes useless. Um, you know, basically, I think what he refers to as straight line power is, you know, is, is force. And one of the things that he talks about in his writing is the way in which God uh, in Jesus comes into the world in a left-handed way rather than a right-handed way. And uh, in a, in a left-handed, surprising and subversive the way that God um, seems to demonstrate his power. Um, surprising and subversive in the way that which God seeks redeeming um, his, his people. It's not in the expected way. We see that um, with Jesus's closest followers. Um, they're so often surprised at the way that he goes about ministry, the things, the things that he says and the things that he does and the people that he uh, eats with and the people he encounters and the people that he, um, that he blesses. I heard years ago, I like this, I've hung on to this. Uh, this pastor said, I've, he said, over the years I've come to terms with the fact that God enjoys pe- blessing people I don't like. Um, so, but the, but Capon often talks about the way in which God moves in a left-handed rather um, than a right-handed way. And I, and I mention that because we'll see, of course, the betrayal and the arrest uh, of Jesus. And one of the things that, that Jesus says to them is, have you come out as against uh, a robber? Uh, when one takes a sword um, and, and strikes the air, and John's gospel attributes this to Peter, um, Peter being the one who, who struck him. Um, this isn't uh, this isn't critical one way or the other. Um, some of the commentaries on Mark uh, think that perhaps it wasn't Peter because surely Peter would have shared that with Mark as he shared the various um, eyewitness accounts um, that it that it wasn't actually Peter who struck the ear of Malchus um, and and cut off his ear. Um, some would say it was just the the zealousness of those who came out um, to seize Jesus. But of course we 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 see that. As they come out, Jesus says to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And then here in verse 50, And they all left him and fled. Um, so, so, so here we are. Jesus uh, is not coming in a seemingly straight-line way. Um, he's coming in a more surprising, uh, and, and you could call it subversive way, in which to ransom um, the world, in which to ransom um, you and me. And Jesus, of course, is taken before um, the council. You know, <laughs> interestingly, um, they, they, they do everything illegally. Um, this was done. Uh, this was done at night. Um, you know, this was not. This was not to be done at night. It was. It was done at night. It was done at the home um, of the high priest. Uh, it, you know, sort of law after law rule. Um, after rule are, are broken um, in all of this, and, and Jesus, of course, uh, is 
is mainly uh, is mainly mute uh, as the questions are asked of him and they are addressed to him uh, until um, the high priest asked him, "Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed?" And Jesus said, "I am." And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds uh, of heaven. Uh, it's at this point, uh, and of course, um, they, you could say they react strongly. Um, uh, and Jesus is turned over. And of course, we see that, that Peter uh, will, of course, uh, deny Jesus uh, three times. But one of the things that was pointed out, and this is interesting because this, think this, uh, addresses discipleship for you and for me. Um, of course, um, Peter cracked under the intense scrutiny um, of the servant girl, the, the one who said, look, if, even if I have to die with you, I'll die with you. Um, and, and he cracked under the question, um, uh, weren't, you, weren't you with him? As he's gathered there, likely amongst those who came out and arrested him and those who will soon begin um, uh, to, to beat him. But one of the things that that we see, and and this speaks to what's going on in, in Peter's life in this uh, particular moment, uh, is that um, he is there um, with Jesus, um, but he's there at a distance. He's 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 with Jesus, but he's distant uh, from Jesus. And I and I think to some degree, if if we're honest, of course, when it comes to relationship, when it comes to discipleship, um, all of us. Um, well, we, we grapple, don't we? Sometimes we feel much closer. Sometimes we feel far more, um, far more distant. But it's, it's, it's speaking to um, not just uh, his physical, but his, but his spiritual distance um, at this particular moment. And one of the things which, is, um, which speaks to the phenomenal grace of God is that Peter, um, again, Peter is sharing these eyewitness accounts with Mark, who is recording them and fashioning them into, uh, into the gospel. And, and Peter feels no need um, to hide his failure. Uh, Peter feels no need to hide his failure. Let me, and this could, be a, uh, this could be a rhetorical question. How ready are you to share your failures? And, and I think the reality is, it, well, let me just say this sometimes in a Christian context, we're ready to share selected failures. Um, there, there's a certain amount of honor, right? and sharing sort of our respectable, honorable um, failures. Um, <laughs> but what about the ones you don't want to admit? Um, the ones that you, you know, the, 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 thoughts, uh, the thoughts of your heart, um, the, the, the thoughts in your mind, the ones that just like, you know what, I'm ready to confess to some, but oh, it just crush me um, if, 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 these, if these were out there. And it, and it speaks to the amazing nature of the grace of God that Peter and the others are, are so willing to share. You know, this, this is awful. I mean, to, to, to betray someone in this way, um, to, to completely um, deny them, basically to distance yourself from them in their time of greatest need, to uh, kind of, if not actively, to passively join the forces of those um, who are uh, against the one that you profess that you would die for. And that's... <laughs> That's that's a wildly uh, embarrassing moment. Uh, that's one of those things that we would uh, that we would dread um, being out there. Uh, and yet, of course, we see um, that that Peter um, records this and and his breaking down 
and and is weeping uh, as as the cock um, crows. Uh, we hear that he broke down um, and he wept as Jesus uh, is delivered to Pilate. And one of the things that we see here is that and Jesus is delivered um, to be to be crucified. One of the things we've talked about some is how in Mark he uses the the sandwich technique where he inserts a story into um, a story um, to sort of shed light. And this is uh, we'll we'll see um, we'll see one of these um, moments because one of the things that we'll see is in in the midst of the failure uh, of Jesus's followers. Uh, in the midst of their denial, we'll, we will see actually the faith of Joseph of Arimathea. Um, in, in, the midst of, in the midst of their failure, we'll, we'll see his, his faith as Jesus is crucified and as he comes to ask for his body. But let me, um, let me just read this um, for us. And this is 1516. And this is after Jesus uh, is delivered over. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, uh, the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put on his own clothes on him, and they led him out um, to crucify him. So what a uh, not yes uh, yes the pain of it. I mean certainly to be to be beaten and to, and to have a, a crown of thorns you know, pressed down uh, upon your head uh, would be would be grueling. Um, all of that would be incredibly uh, grueling. But, if, you know, when you, and from time to time, you know, for instance, in, in, in the context of a riot or what have you, I mean, typically you and I live pretty safe, comfortable lives. But when you experience sort of anger and rage and malice and violence, it, it rattles you. Um, you know, when you really experience that, I mean, it really, uh, again, in my experience of it, I've been incredibly fortunate. My experience of it is limited. But when you experience that, it 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 rattles you in a way often more deeply than pain. Um, just just to see the the, the reality of that um, darkness really uh, strikes a deep chord within us and, and rattles us. I mean, yes, we have the grueling, unimaginable physical pain which Jesus experiences, but the the rage and the hatred and the malice and the mockery and, and the indifference to suffering which he experiences um, surely is, is, a, is a phenomenal weight which he bears for you and for me. Um, again, uh, you know, typically the, the, the physical pain is, is temporary, um, but, but something like this, and this is what he endures um, for you and for me, Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Unimaginable, and 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 to not respond and to not respond in kind. Uh, I was going to share a story where, because uh, we'll see, as he's there on the cross, um, 
and they, uh, you know, they, they walk by and they and they wag their heads at him and they deride him and they and they and they mock him. Um, we're told. I remember, um, gosh, it was years ago. Uh, Tim Keller came to Birmingham and he spoke at Samford, and you know, I don't know, maybe this is ten years ago or so that it all sort of blurs together. Um, but I remember him uh, sharing a story. It was one of those riveting stories that that stays with you, and it was about this. Um, woman who came to his church and she was uh, on TV a celebrity I can't remember who it was and after church he you know welcome uh, you know glad glad you're here welcome if you don't mind I'm curious just you know basically why why are you here um, is is you know what what brought what brought you here um, today and interestingly her response she says well you know I'm not a Christian um, but but something happened to me that made an impact on me and it was at her work and she had done something wrong. I don't, uh, I don't think he, he mentioned, or if he mentioned, I can't remember what she did. But it was one of those things that she did wrong that she was, that she was going to get fired. Um, and, and, of course, um, you know, that's, that's a terrible feeling for, for, for any of us um, to, uh, to, lose your, to lose your place, to lose your work, but particularly in such a public way. <laughs> you know, when you're on TV, it's kind of hard to, it's hard, hard to go quietly. Um, uh, but apparently the person that was her supervisor took the heat for her. Um, and uh, he said, you know what, she's, um, you know what, she's young, I should have done a better job of, of you know, training her, equipping her, preparing her. Um, you know, I, I really, you know, wish you'd give her a, a, another chance. Uh, this is really my responsibility and I really take the, take the blame for this. And so she's sharing the story. She she went and she talked to the guy because she said, "Why did you do it? Um, you know what? Why did you do it?" And he said, "You know what? Listen, it's you know you're just starting off. It's not a big deal. We've all made mistakes. Uh, it was sort of deferential and all of it." But she continued to press him uh, about why he did it because, uh, as you know, you know so often in the world, uh, your supervisors are happy to take credit. For the things that you do well, but they're not going to take the blame for the things that you don't do well. She's like, you know, I, I know, I know the economy of the workplace, uh, and I know the way that things work. And this is, you know, why would you do this? Why would you take the heat for me? Because you had to trade in some of your credits um, for for my behalf. And she continued to press him. Apparently, the man said, to, "Well, he said, well, it's because I'm a Christian. Uh, it's it's because I'm a Christian, and I've received." You know, mercy that I don't deserve, uh, and and love that I don't um, deserve. That's that that's why I did it because I was a Christian, and so that was one of those things that made such an impact um, on her that she thought, you know what, I I want to hear more uh, about this Jesus. I want to hear more um, about this about this Christianity. Something is is dramatically different that that grabbed her, and 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 we see this as as we go on. Um, to the crucifixion, we hear that they brought in, you know, eyewitness details here, and they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. So, you know, again, all these details, like, look, you can check this out. Here's here's the people, here's the players, here are the different details um, of all this. And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. Again, uh, this, this callousness. I mean, the, the Romans crucified hundreds of thousands 
uh, of of people during their time and tenure. And of course, crucifixion was their uh, their their chief um, fright tactic and bullying tactic to keep the to keep the people in to keep the people in line. Not only that was it, of course, designed to be torturous uh, and grueling and shameful as they as they stripped you and left you there. But but typically, um, they would leave the bodies on the cross to decay. Um, uh, again, just further violence, further um, callousness, further gruesome to to frighten the people. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And I'll stop there. Any any comments or reactions to that? I think I'm, I'm kind of struck by, um, and I think even going back to the, the previous passage, uh, just the kind of the centrality of bearing shame. Mm-hmm. Um, just the, yeah, just I think the incredible amount of uh, just of mockery and, mm-hmm. and, and I was thinking about the, the verse in Hebrews about, you know, uh, oh gosh, now I'm, I'm thinking I'm blanking out, but uh, enduring the cross, scoring the shame. Oh, yeah, Romans 12, um, yeah. since we're surrounded by so great a yeah. cloud of witnesses yeah. um, um, who endured the cross, scorning at shame. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah, so just kind of thinking. Yeah, just the, the heavy emphasis on shame mm-hmm. with, with the, the means of death, and then yeah. kind of all the Old Testament just talking about, you know, deliver me from shame. All the songs mm-hmm. that are kind of saying mm-hmm. that, that common experience. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. I mean, yeah, you think about it. For, I mean, if you ask me, it's like I'd rather experience pain and suffering than shame. Um, you know, most of us, it's it's like. Um, Y'all probably don't remember Greg. Do y'all remember Greg Lamond um, back in the day? He was kind of one of the first um, great hopes that won the Tour de France. Um, and uh, I can remember this was kind of at the time, and I got into cycling at that for for a brief um, period during that time, and really really enjoyed it. Um, but uh, clipless pedals. Any of y'all remember that? You know, you had the clipless pedals, and they're much better now. Um, but I can remember one time. You'd pull up and you'd have to twist your foot to get it out. Well, you can imagine where this is going. Like all of a sudden, and the next thing you know, I fell over um, on my side with both of my feet still clipped in. I couldn't get it out. And of course, you know what the first thing I did was? Did anyone see me? That was before I'd like, if I hurt, I wanted to know that anyone, <laughs> I was embarrassed. Before I was hurt, I was embarrassed. Like I didn't want to experience the shame of someone seeing me tip over like a toddler um, because I couldn't get my feet uh, unclipped. Uh, yeah, Jesus taking on him the, yeah, the yeah, experiencing experiencing the shame. Yeah, any other question? Any other comments? Reflections on that? You know, it sort of struck me. This is because it's almost. Yeah, I don't know if any, any of you watched. I have been reading some of Tim Keller's responses in Twitter. Mm-hmm. He is just getting out there reading, but, and the things people will say in response 
where they twist what he's saying or twist scripture. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the same kind of attitude um, that they take something that Jesus said mm-hmm. that they don't fully understand yes. what he meant um, and then mock him with that mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and have somewhat of a self-righteousness attached to it. Yes. And he, he endures that. Yes. Right. Absolutely. I mean, just the phenomenal nature of uh, those who the the willingness uh, the the willingness to endure the shame and the false accusations. Um, and of course, what's what's uh, the uh, again as we move toward the the resurrection here, um, the source of the phenomenal um, good news um, for you and for me. Um, you know, you who'd save others, save yourself. Um, I mean, his his intentionally willingly not stepping down from the cross, his his intentional willing sacrifice of himself. Um, you know, the, the the way that they uh, the way that they deride him in that way, because again, it, it, it's it's foreign um, the the belief that he would experience this um, on behalf uh, even of those who mock him experience this on behalf even of those who would revile him. Right. Yeah, that temptation to prove it, but yeah. but his uh, his eyes upon what would ultimately deliver us. And and of course we see his reticence um, throughout the entire gospel to do things for, for show. Uh, he's doing this for an eternal purpose rather than the show uh, of the moment. Uh, well, you, you go back to the temptation uh, in, in the wilderness. Um, you know, throw, throw, yourself, throw yourself down. Do something that, that, no one, uh, that no one who sees it could deny you. But one of the things we see repeatedly uh, is um, uh, it, it takes ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to convert our hearts because we can see all sorts of things and experience all sorts of things and and explain it away um, or dismiss it or over time it begins um, to lose its power um, in our lives. Uh, But he's of course going to be the once and for all sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the world. Um, uh, Willingly uh, suffering and experiencing the shame uh, for you and for me. And uh, in his death, one of the things that we see, and you probably Heard a lot about this, read about um, this a great deal. Um, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way, and this is, uh, we're in 15, uh, sort of 37 and following, um, and when the, centurion, when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, um, this man was the Son of God. I'm going to say a few things, but any comments you'll have on that? You've talked before in, your, in the sermon of yours about the importance of it written top to bottom, mm-hmm. the hands of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, essentially, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's one of the things that uh, pointed out years ago is... Uh, you know, in fact, that's a great point, uh, Daniel. Is like all of this and all of this. One of the things that we see in the resurrection, it's God's work and not our work. 
And of course, that's also at the message of the gospel, that our hope and our security are in God's work and not our work. Our salvation is by grace and not by works, um, because it's a work of God. And yeah, the fact that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom um, is is significant, saying, yeah, exactly. Um, Mm-hmm. Place, right? Yes, absolutely. Only the priest could go in once a year, and that was now open. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this that which separated, and Jesus is willingly, gruelingly bearing the 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 shame and the condemnation and the suffering and the death, providing himself as the ransom that that which divided us, sin and death from God has been removed. Um, sin, death, rebellion, that that has been removed. We're able to approach God in the merits of Jesus, in the in the work of Jesus, in the accomplishment of Jesus. Yeah, so that uh, that grand curtain was torn in two. And this is kind of interesting because um, I've always uh, sort of thought of it and heard it referenced as the uh, as the curtain which existed between um, the holy of so there was you know there was the court of women the court of uh, well there's the court of the Gentiles the court of the we, court of women Jewish women uh, the court for Jewish men and then there was that that which separated um, them from the holy of holies the place uh, where it believed um, God dwelt uh, I wanted to read to you actually because um, this was interesting um, some of the um, so yeah give me. Just a second here to see if I can um, find it. But uh, one of the things that it that it mentioned is perhaps um, this was the temple um, which separated sort of the court of the Gentiles from the court of the Jews. Because we, we see this, one of the things that's it's noteworthy in here, one of the things you see is that the centurion was looking on. The centurion uh, was looking directly um, at Jesus. Again, in irony of Mark, um, his followers have fled. Uh, but here's an outsider and a Gentile who is actually there um, standing before Jesus uh, and who interprets um, rightly, yeah, who stood facing him. So again, all the others have fled him. And now we see that this centurion uh, is is facing him. And uh, I think it's safe to say that the centurion wouldn't be the sappy type. Um, um, and so surely he sees something here which is profound uh, in this way. He said, truly, um, this man was the Son of God. Well, listen, this is kind of interesting. Um, so both, uh, uh, I'm looking for it here. Ah, here we go. So there's obviously the, the, the two curtains. Um, one, as you mentioned, only on the Day of Atonement, once a year would the high priest enter in to offer sacrifices. The the word shazane, uh makes me think of shazam, uh, means to tear, um, uh, and this is interesting. So the only other place in Mark's gospel that that particular word uh, happens is at the baptism of Jesus when we hear the heavens are torn open. So that word uh, happens twice in Mark's gospel. as the heavens are torn open and the voice says, this is my beloved son. Uh, and here uh, at, his, at his cross and in his death, once again, that, that tearing takes place. Basically, God is speaking um, to the people in this particular moment. Uh, but but uh, likewise, the tearing of the curtain of the temple enables the centurion to confess Jesus as the Son of God. Both confessions depend on the tearing in two of a veil 
so that something may be witnessed. So the veil is turned that something may be witnessed. Just like God rolls away the stone, that the reality of the resurrection might be might be seen and experienced as well. The only curtain visible to a Gentile centurion was the outer curtain, not the curtain before the Holy of Holies. Um, moreover, Josephus describes the outer curtain as a tapestry portraying a panorama of the heavens. This is a striking parallel to the tearing of heaven in 110. Thus, at both uses of Shazain, Mark signifies the rending of the skies to open heaven to humanity in the baptism of Jesus and to open the temple as the locust day to humanity at the death of Jesus. At the baptism and death of Jesus, the heavenly and earthly dwellings of God um, are open to humanity. So that last one, at the baptism and death of Jesus, the heavenly and earthly dwellings of God are opened um, to humanity. Um, God, God rends um, the curtain um, in uh, the temple. Uh, and now we're going to get to what? I forgot my watch. What time do we have? 11. Oh, 11. Shoot. Um, okay. So now to the best part. I'll, I'll tell you. Um, yes. Well, that that was the thing about the commentary. Uh, yes, I mean, so he would have he could have seen the curtain, the one which separated basically the the court of the Gentiles to that of the Jews. Like he would he would be able to see that curtain. He wouldn't necessarily be able to see the curtain. Well, he would not be able to see the curtain inside the one that went to the Holy of Holies because there are two curtains. So he was standing there in front of Jesus. Right. He could have seen. He very definitely could have seen the the curtain exactly, and it and it's being. And it's being torn in two. I had a, um, you know, I had an interesting, uh, we're, we're going now to his burial and his resurrection. Um, had an interesting dream just this past week. And uh, it won't surprise you, you know, I'm not a great visionary. Um, I don't particularly have a lot of um, visions. But um, my dad died just over a year ago. And, I, and it really was just kind of moving and kind of choked me up. I, in, in my dream, uh, dad, uh, dad was running, uh, and he came by, and he was, and he was running. And um, if, if you do, my dad was a great guy. He was not built for running. Um, dad, dad was, dad was a big guy. He was not, dad was not a, was not a runner. But you know, maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's nothing to this. But I, I sort of took this when, when dad died. Uh, the next day, I can remember just again and again feeling the significance of the words as if God were giving them to me, you know, that, that he was now where sorrow and pain are no more, neither sighing but life everlasting. Those words from the burial office were sorrow and pain are no more, neither sighing but life everlasting. But just in my dream, and it wasn't, uh, again, he wasn't distressed. It was just like he went, he was just running by and he was whole uh, and he was, and he was fluid uh, and he was restored. And I say, he was a great guy, but I wouldn't have, well, he wasn't lacking in fluidity, uh, but again, he was not a runner. But this just this incredible um, image of risen life, uh, of 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 resurrection, and 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 again, we have here they uh, the the women also. Uh, we were told they're looking on from a distance. Uh, we hear, of course, of Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger Joseph, and Salome. They're at the very least, they're looking on from a distance. The others have fled altogether, uh, but they, uh, again, are, are at a distance. And, and the word which is used in the original language referring to how they were looking on um, at a distance, 
means that also it means more it means basically to be a spectator rather than to be a disciple it means to be a spectator um, uh, so as I say in, <laughs> to their credit they're at least spectating where the others have fled altogether but their being at a distance also speaks now to uh, a, a spiritual component as well and we hear the the faithfulness and the courage of Joseph of Arimathea going not at not only at financial cost to himself but obviously um, personal well-being, uh, personal harm, going and asking Pilate for the body uh, of Jesus, uh, you know, to, to basically um, identify himself and put himself in the company of Jesus. And so we see, um, in contrast to the followers, the, the courageous faith of Joseph of Arimathea, who was likely a member of the council, which meant of the Sanhedrin, which is to say that, you know, not everybody on the Sanhedrin was a bad guy. Um, here was someone who, that we're told was sincerely looking, who was sincerely looking um, for God, and he and he brought the linen shroud and took him down and wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him um, in a tomb that had been hewn, uh, that had been cut out of the rock, and, and um, uh, to to put him in in that which was his his own um, and to identify with him uh, in that way is. Uh, is dramatic. Uh, and we see, of course, at this point, um, the next day, uh, again, uh, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome um, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And of course, um, to this point, what, what are they expecting to find? A dead body. Um, despite what Jesus had told them, um, they're, they're going, they're, they're despairing. Uh, they're, they're crushed, and they expect to go and find a body. Uh, and very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, um, I, I don't think that's accidental, um, very, very early when the sun had risen, um, they, they went to the tomb. And what was their concern? Who will roll, exactly, who will roll away um, the stone? You know, uh, typically, you know, hewn out of these limestone hills, and these there would be a, a trench, and the large stone would be, you know, rolled the clothes for you know, grave robbers, animals, etc., et and the bodies would be left there until such time that the bodies decayed, and then the uh, the bones would be placed in an ossuary in the uh, in the actual uh, in the actual tomb. Who will roll away the stone for us uh, from the entrance of the tomb? Uh, and and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large, and again, the stone is isn't rolled back for Jesus. <laughs> It's rolled back for them, and it's rolled back for you and for me. Uh, and uh, God is able to do what we cannot, of course. God is able, and, and granted, this is this is speaking to a cosmic scale. But I would say that there are uh, there are stones and situations in our lives that are too big for us and too heavy for us to move. Um, but we see the power and the ability to God of God to move in situations that are beyond you and me. Um, we're, we're called to we're we're called to sort of a prayerful allegiance. We're called to be in relationship. We're called to follow. We're, we're not called to have a power that's not our own. We see that God is sufficient to roll away stones. God is sufficient to bring hope into hopelessness. God is able to bring new life into situations which seemingly are dead, uh, in relationships which are dead. Uh, we, we see, uh, and entering the tomb, once again, this is an eyewitness detail here, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, 
not on the left side, the right side. Uh, you know, again, seemingly superfluous, but this is like, this is recounting what they saw and what they experienced. He wasn't on the left side, he was sitting um, on the right side. Uh, this angel, this messenger from God, a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed, and he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Any, any comment on that? Uh, you know, true confessions. For years, I loved the Gospel of Mark. For years, I, I didn't care for it uh, in many ways, again, because Mark needs my approval. But um, but the ending, I didn't like the ending. Um, and, and, you know, uh, really kind of scholars across the board believe that 9 through 20 is a later, and there's numerous reasons why 9 through 20 is a, is a later um, addition. But, but it's funny because, I mean, you know what, looking at this, I'm thinking, you know what, honest. Um, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is not the ending, but this is honest, I'm sure, puts you and me in that situation. Um, you know what, we, we probably would have, Jesus said very clearly, you know, go and, go and tell the others, and they were just, they, they panicked. Um, they were they were overwhelmed. They were they were undone uh, by what they saw and they experienced. And again, I think a, a phenomenal, honest account of the truth of the resurrection. As as you know, for numerous reasons. One, um, were they trying to convince uh, their contemporaries they they would not have had women as the primary witnesses, particularly in, in Jewish uh, in Jewish society. Um, that would not have held up uh, in the in the same in the same way. They would have gone forth bravely uh, instead of running um, scared. But again, this is this this happened, um, and this is what um, transformed them uh, in a way in which nothing else can. And this is one of my all-time favorite quotes in the world that I want to read to you. Again, Peter is sharing this with Mark, and go and tell the disciples. And Peter also, um, we hear. And listen to what James Edwards says about this, and I, I, I love this. The angel's final word to the women is, Tell Jesus' disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The announcement of fulfillment of 1428 is a remarkable word of grace and encouragement. The flight of the disciples, even Peter's pitiful denial, have not been the last word. Again, the incredible message of the gospel. Uh, we're not the last word. Uh, our, our, our performance is not um, the last word. Uh, and he, he goes on and he says this. And this is one of my all-time favorites. The last word belongs to the risen Lord. Uh, I am going before you. So again, my commentary. The last word is not given to you and to me. The last word is given to the crucified and risen Jesus. Uh, and I think that's a word of hope uh, for, for all of us. The first act of Jesus' ministry was the calling of four fishermen into community with himself. And the first word of the resurrected Jesus is the reconvening of the same community of disciples. The announcement of the angel is not one of deserved blame, but a promise of gathering and going before them. God completes his plans for the church despite human failure. If the word of grace 
from the resurrected Lord includes a traitor like Peter, readers of the gospel may be assured that it includes those of their community who have also failed Christ. So what I'd hope to hold up um, to us this day is that is that phenomenal word that that the last word is not given to you and to me in, in our lives, in our uh, in our relationships, in our situations. The last word is given to the crucified and risen Jesus. And rather than a word of deserved rebuke, it's a gracious word and a gathering word. Uh, that's why we call um, the gospel good news, uh, because it's news about what God has done um, for you and for me. And so uh, I wish I had more time, but, uh, but go forth reflecting on that good news that you don't have the final word. The final word is given to the crucified and risen Jesus. So what might that look like uh, in, in our lives as we reflect on that? Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of this day, this time, for the gift of your passion for us, uh, that you are indeed crucified and risen, that you are our hope, our strength, and our salvation. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.